There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Roden, and you're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm uh, back from covering the World Series in Boston and L.A. and coming to you from an undisclosed location in New York. Uh, I'm on with my co-host, Tiffany Hoyd from Howard University and Isaiah George from the great Morgan State University, which is mine, of course. Uh, hey, uh, Tiffany, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Things are a bit gloomy in D.C. between the rain and Howard's homecoming loss. It's been a bit tough, to say the least, but as always, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> hope, hope the light's not a train. Hey, Isaiah, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> how, um, how are things uh, going? How, are things looking up, uh, seeing as uh, um, your Red Sox came out on top, as was my prediction? How are things going with you? I'm doing well, you know, especially when you can predict the uh, winner of the World Series. I, I think I did pretty well with that. Well, that's right. The uh, the Sox won. Cardi B and Nicki Minaj uh, went head to head last week in a social media brawl and Queen Radio showdown. Uh, they had a lot of fans picking sides. Hey, uh, Isaiah Tiffany, whose side are you on in the Cardi B Nicki Minaj beat? Well, you know, Bill, I am on the side of good music, and both of them make great music. Uh, mm-hmm. Cardi B, she's excelling in her career. And I think people just want them to be. They want them to not get along. But I'm all for two black women in rap making it happen for themselves. By, by the way, our wonderful producer, um, Aaron Matthewson, wrote this script. I, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. What do you think, Isaiah? Well, uh, I guess I can give a little bit of background. But I, I will say that I think I'm on Cardi's side only because the situation, you know, come about from came about from you know Nicki Minaj liking tweets about uh, Cardi B uh, parenting skills and things like that, and now it's end up as Nicki Minaj uh, asking her to write a rap, which is ironic because both of them have actually had people write a lot of their songs or, or a lot of pieces of their songs. So I, with Nicki doing that, I, that's kind of funny to me. So I'm, I'm on Cardi's side with this. Hmm. Well, I guess the the uh... The fight will rage on. I just find it fascinating uh, that that these kind of wars not only exist, but you know, get get like millions of 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 of, of hits. So you know, it's all good, I guess. In this era of social media, any attention is good attention. But we kind of move on to something a little more sobering, and it's something that's taking place in in your region, Isaiah and Tiffany, and that's the. Uh, the death of football player Jordan McNair and the impact that death has had on on his team, the University of Maryland Terrapins, um, the university community. Now, McNair uh, was only 19 years old when he died of heat exhaustion at a University of Maryland football practice last June. And a lot of people throughout the football world, I mean, this thing is spreading like wildfire. Uh, many people throughout college football in the world of sports of call for the resignation and the firing of Coach DJ Durkin, and last week it happened uh, in, in a bizarre series of, of events. First, 
Maryland reinstated D.J. Durkin, and then a few days later fired him as head coach. And then a couple of days after that, uh, the head of the Board of Regents, who had been an outspoken advocate uh, and supporter of Durkin, also resigned. Now, since 1995, an average of three football players a year, on average, have died of heat stroke, uh, most of them high schoolers. Uh, in the last five years, the average was about two deaths per year, which is still pretty high, particularly if one of the kids is yours or one of your relatives. The, 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 the death has sparked a conversation about the need for proper protocol to ensure athletic safety. So we're going to hear from a couple HBCU football coaches about how they run their teams. But first, uh, Tiffany, you've been Howard's football manager for the last uh, four years. What did you think of the situation at, at Maryland? And how did you and, and the, the Howard team react? Well, it hit pretty close to home. You know, Maryland's right up the street from Howard. And uh, our coaches, they were formerly on the Maryland coaching staff. So it was a tricky situation because you have experiences with these coaches. But then you're looking at it and you're like, this is a 19-year-old kid who lost his life due to malpractice. And so you have to look at it that way. And you have to make adjustments on your program to make sure that this doesn't happen and you have to uh, make sure that your players understand the importance of making sure they're safe. Mm-hmm. As of today, students at, at, at Maryland are protesting. Uh, now they're, they're asking for uh, President Lowe to resign. Uh, I'm just curious, how, how have students at Howard and Morgan reacted? Or has there been any reaction, Isaiah? Uh, well, from what I've seen, there's been a little bit of reaction of uh, basically students being puzzled on on how they could even think about bringing him back. And it's it's ironic because this situation somewhat happened at Morgan uh, in 2014 where a player had collapsed at practice, um, Marquise Meadow, and he was a freshman as well uh, at the time. And he went to the hospital they tried to treat him for dehydration, and two weeks later, he passed away. It was oh, wow. him being ruled as an accident. But Morgan has had to go through something like this beforehand. But there wasn't accusations of a uh, toxic culture or the president having to resign or anything like that. So to see the situation in Maryland happen, and, and it happened on such a, uh, I guess, a, a bigger scale and in worse circumstances, it was surprising to see that uh, Maryland took the uh, action that they did. But what, what was the difference? Uh, did you know the the, the uh, student who died? It's um, I actually came into Morgan with him um, through the Casa Academy, so I I, I never had classes with him, but uh, we stayed in the same dorm uh, during the summer of 2014. Uh, I knew him just a, a little bit, spoke to him a couple times, so it, it kind of hit me too. You know, just coming that was my first time, you know, coming to college and and seeing you know someone that. Uh, that was a peer pass away uh, in a situation that may or may not have been prevented. But I think the big biggest difference was that they actually did, you know, get him to the hospital and, and they tried to take as much uh, precautions as they could. But uh, he sadly he passed away. With this situation in Maryland, it was a situation that coaches had seen uh, kind of deteriorating and, and basically berating him for for not wanting to be in the drills and things like that. And then once he finally collapses. Um, now there's, it's, you know, it's panic mode, and, and he sadly passed away. So I think that's the difference, that there was something done to try to save the life of Marquise Meadow, and there, um, there wasn't really something done for Jordan McNair in time. For both of you, uh, Tiffany and Anna, do you think the difference 
Do you think that money had anything to do with the fact that Maryland is, is in the Big Ten, it's a big-time program and a big-time conference, um, and maybe players are more likely to be viewed as chattel and chess pieces? Do you think that that had anything to do with the difference of the two situations, Tiffany? Oh, I definitely think that they looked at uh, the athlete as like a, a chess piece to a grand puzzle uh, in order to win football games. And I think that's what is, what made it so big. And then also, I think there's a big precedent right now on are these programs taking care of the athlete? Are they putting the athlete first? With the age of social media we're in now, something like this happens and it's not going to just be something that they can sweep under the rug. It's a big conversation, especially in a culture that's big right now of making sure that we're highlighting how athletes are being mistreated at certain universities. Hmm. Isaiah, back then in 2014, was there much social media around, um, around the death of, of, of Meadows? Uh, was there any, I mean, from what I hear you saying, there was barely a ripple. I mean, was there, a visual or anything. It was uh, reactions from students, but it wasn't in the way of anger. It was more sad, especially in the situation of people knew, you know, he was sick. Uh, people knew that he w- went to the hospital because he was in the hospital for two weeks before he ended up passing away. So it was something that M- Morgan, uh, the Morgan State, uh, excuse me, the Morgan State University training staff had did what they could to try to save Marquise Meadow and uh, the coaching staff. It wasn't necessarily the coaching staff was was pushing him too hard. It was a, a case of not being hydrated, and you know it it went to the worst. Um, it actually was ruled accidental. Um, so I mean, there wasn't really frustration on the parts of the of the players or or the or the uh, students. It was more just like sad. In this situation with Maryland, it's it's it came out as okay. This is a toxic culture, and this is something that probably would have happened if it didn't happen now it would have happened later down the road type thing and i think that's why there was a a, a difference but there there definitely was a, a a social media reaction but it was more being sad and not necessarily wanting to fire the coach at the time i just want i'm gonna let i want to move on but i want to stay on this because i think what seems to me the issue here is scale and visibility not necessarily definitely. compassion so i guess my question for you tiffany is if the same thing happened, let's say at Howard or Morgan, where there was this complaint about this culture, uh, a toxic culture in the football program and all that, do you think that there would be this kind of outcry and national media attention? Or do you think that the fact that they were a smaller school or HBCU, you, you might not have this type of attention, even if the circumstances were the same? You can only hope for the best. And it's very true. There's there's a different media platform depending on what division you're in. But I think what separated Maryland from the situation at Morgan and from various situations where there's been a player death due to heat exhaustion or, or malpractice is the fact that there was malpractice. There was a coach who was berating a guy because he wasn't, he didn't feel like he was putting his best effort forward. Instead of, you know, trying to make sure that that athlete was okay, and then you have different conversations. Oh, this coach, he does this all the time. He's abusive to his players. Whereas different other programs that we've seen, we haven't heard this trickle, uh, trickle effect. Like, even the situation with Meadows at Morgan, we didn't hear that the coach of Morgan was belittling his team. We didn't hear that he had a, a toxic environment around his practices. We didn't hear that. We heard that. 
we heard that at Maryland, and I think that's what separates the situation. Mm-hmm. I think if the situation happened at a you know a Howard University or, or Morgan or any other HBCU, I don't think you get the national attention that it's brought. You know, with the same circumstances, maybe because that's just such a big issue. Um, but I, I don't think you get the same national attention. Something like that happened at Morgan with a different team, the women's basketball team in 2015. Uh, Donald Beasley at the time was the head coach, and he was accused by players and some parents of players that he had verbally abused the the, uh, the players, uh, calling them different names and things like that out of their name. And he was eventually reassigned after those allegations so he wouldn't be in contact with the women's basketball team. And that decision came swiftly, um, and there wasn't necessarily national media to it, and it wasn't obviously as bad as University of Maryland. Um, nobody, was, nobody lost their life in this situation, but Morgan State handled the situation, and it wasn't a lot of media other than maybe the Baltimore Sun that covered it. So I just feel like if that situation happens at an HBCU, because we don't get the coverage already, it probably wouldn't be uh, as big as Maryland is situation is right now. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, you, you guys have been following uh, the situation in Maryland. Were you surprised in the turnabouts at first Durkin rehired, then he's fired? Were, 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 were you surprised about that, Isaiah? I was, uh, and I'll tell you why. When, he, when Durkin got to Maryland, uh, he, was, he did okay in his first year. Seven wins, got to a bowl game. Next year, four and eight. This year, the uh, situation happens with Jordan McNair and, and him sadly passing away. So I'm just looking, trying to look at it from Maryland's perspective and trying to see as if after you get all the evidence that you have and in the report the things that they say that some of this does lay on Durkin, um, that he is part, somewhat part of the problem, but he shouldn't be blamed for all of it. If he's part of the problem, if, even if he's not the whole problem, how can you think about keeping him? It's not as if he's brought a championship to Maryland and, and you're like, okay, his pedigree is just too big. Maybe we can let this slide. You shouldn't even let this slide in the first place because a, a person has lost their life. Somebody can't go back to their family. So it was just surprising to see that they thought that they were going to keep DJ Durkin and not face the backlash that they did. And um, I was talking about this, I know, earlier with some people and saying that this is going to hurt Maryland, even though they ended up firing him, this is going to hurt Maryland for years to come when it comes to the recruiting class because it shows that the institution does not care about the student-athletes themselves because of the decision that they made. So every time, whoever the new coach is going to be, every time he goes into a recruit's house and tells them that, tells their family that I'm going to take care of your kid, that family is going to speculate and, and not really believe that or going to have a problem believing that, understanding that the institution has shown that we will back coaches or the administration of the program itself before we protect the players. Mm. What about you, Tiffany? Were you, were you surprised by the, uh, the announcement that first, uh, Dirk is coming back, and then you say he was fired. I was absolutely surprised, and the only thing I could think was Maryland's trying to make sure that they cover themselves and try and make sure that the McNair family can't sue them. So they're going to try and back Durkin, but that backfired on them because people were like, no, Durkin, he was wrong, and he was a part of the problem. I absolutely agree with Isaiah. They have lost the trust of the Maryland community. They've struggled in years past to – obtain Maryland recruits. Uh, Penn State comes there and takes a lot of Maryland recruits that Maryland probably should get. 
But because of this, with the president and his reinstatement, it's like Jordan McNair's father said, I feel punched in the stomach and as if someone spit, spit in my face. And that's really mm-hmm. how Maryland approached that situation. They didn't approach it from an athlete first, the McNair family first situation. You lost, a player, a young man lost his life due to someone's negligence, and they didn't approach it like that. Tiffany, I'm glad you actually said that about their recruiting in the state. Maryland has had a problem with that for years, and like you said, bigger programs come down to Maryland and, and get these better athletes that Maryland can't. In the last couple of years, they've been trying to use uh, the DMV to UMD hashtag and then that movement to try to get some better athletes, which has somewhat worked, but they've still missed out on recruits. And now, with this being on such a national stage, now you have everybody looking at your program, not just the Maryland students. And the, the student that, that happened to die, Jordan McNair, he was from Maryland. The, the student athletes that spoke out um, to DJ Durkin in the program, the, uh, a couple of those are from Maryland. So now that's going to resonate within the state, and it's going to resonate with recruits all over the country for, for years to come when it comes to recruiting in the program. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk with the head football coaches at Howard University and at Florida A&M University about how to protect the health and welfare of their players. We'll be right back. Hey, Tiffany, um, uh, you recently caught up with Howard University head coach Mike London about uh, he and, uh, and the team protects the health of athletes. Let, let's listen to a clip. All right, so, Coach, what protocols do you use to keep your players safe? Well, I mean, we talk about protocols. You, you, you involve a lot of people. Obviously, you involve the, the sports performance, you know, trainer, athletic trainers, you know, Dan Bellamy is, uh, is our director of sports performance for us. You involve the strength and conditioning coach. Um, you know, Kenny O'Mary, you know, is, is that for us. Um, to a certain extent, you involve the facilities people, um, you know, that set up uh, the equipment and things that are, that are on the, the playing fields. And so, you know, obviously you involve your staff and then the, and the staffs of, uh, of the equipment managers and assistant trainers and all that. So there's a lot of procedures and processes that uh, prior to taking the field that you want to have in place, people understanding their roles, um, you know, uh, when, when, when practice is being conducted, and also if things should have to, uh, you know, go to the next level in terms of an emergency situation. So um, we try to take care of those things, talk about those things prior to, and then as the practices go on, hopefully they're uneventful, but, um, you know, those are some of the things we do uh, prior to going into the season and, and any practice that we have. Coach, how are you with your checks and balances system? We as coaches, you know, have to know, um, you know, the, the, the skills and the techniques, obviously, that we evaluate to be needed. But we have to be understanding of the weather conditions. Um, we have to be understanding of any risk factors that any of our, our student athletes may have. I mean, we do a great job of assessing, uh, you know, prior to participation, you know where uh, where young men are, whether there's a sickle cell trait, whether there's asthma uh, being uh, you know something that's been in the health history, 
um, whether the medication is uh, has been involved, ADH, you know, medication, um, knowing that or educating the players on their part of the hydration uh, expectation, uh, sleep, recovery. So, you know, there, there's a lot of things we put in place and we also, uh, you know, with education being primary number one, but also uh, our, our staff members recognizing um, you know, the different elements between, you know, heat exhaustion, heat exertion, the, the sickle cell issues that uh, sometimes manifest itself in a different way. But being collaborative with the uh, with the trainers, you know, with sports performance people that there's a certain way that things are done. But if a player is struggling, then uh, we're not in the business of, um, of of making the player or getting the player to 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 get beyond, uh, you know, the, the, that that particular issue he's having. But to to make sure that we. We heighten the awareness of the support staff around that if someone is struggling from a standpoint of what are some of the risk factors, what are some of the telltale signs, then, uh, you know, we'd be, uh, we'd be, we'd be vigilant about that. And, and I think that's part of the relationship that a, that a staff, uh, athletic, you know, training staff, strength and conditioning staff, and all the stakeholders have. Coach, a lot of your a lot of your staff members, your coaches on your staff, have said that you're one of the best people to work for. And your players, Jaquez Ezra, in a conversation, he said, you know, a lot of times I do a lot of things just for Coach London, just because I want to work for him. You breed an atmosphere where your players feel as if they're part of the whole process and not just numbers on a team. How do you create that atmosphere and making sure your players' voices are heard? Well, I mean, obviously, one of the things that you always want to have is, is a relationship with uh, with the players. I mean, people don't care how much you know; they know about how much you care. And um, you know, pride myself in being a relationship oriented guy, father of seven, former police officer. You know, had a cup of coffee in the NFL, coaching the NFL, been a head coach. You know, FBS, FCS level. So there's just a sum total of life experiences that you have. And dealing with people, you know, the standards of the team, as you know, are go to class, show class, and treat people with dignity and respect. And so, if you try to live those things and be consistent um, about, you know, about those standards, then the relationship and the people that surround you or, or around you is something that you want to be known for. So, the players know that, you know, I have their best interest at heart, and I, and I, and I believe sometimes, you know, players sometimes play above and beyond or go above and beyond because they feel that you have a vested interest in them. And that's, that's how I see things. And, and I appreciate, you know, the, the words of, of, of Jaquez. I mean, you got to know about, you know, a guy's family, what's going on in their lives um, and ask the question about, Hey, how are you doing? And then wait for a quick answer. Like, no, hey, hey, spend the time to stop say, tell me about, you know, a particular family member. Tell me about, how things are going on with you know with your relationship with your girlfriend or or classes or something. So be purposeful and intentional about having a conversation with an individual, not just making small talk for the sake of making small talk. What educational steps do you take as a coach with your staff, your training staff, to make sure that the athletes are properly taken care of on a day to day basis? Um, we, we talk about hydration being critical. There's a urine chart up in the, in the locker room so they see before and after, uh, you know, what their urine may look like in order to educate them. Uh, as I said, we weigh them, you know, before and after each practice to see if there's a measured amount of, of weight loss. Um, you know, we, we talk about, we, we provide the, 
you know, the, 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 the drinks, you know, with the Gatorades and things that have the sodium, the high content to allow them to recover, uh, you know, faster and quicker. Um, so, you know, we, we try to do a lot of things that, that, that our, our medical staff uh, feels, you know, feels uh, good that the fact that at least we're educated enough that we see some signs of a player, you know, failing, dizzying, uh, cramping, that uh, that we can we can alert them, and then they do the necessary procedures, whether it's a, a cold tub um, or a, a, a AED or whatever, you know, IVs, whatever it might be. Then we will let them handle the medical part of carrying out the plan. Uh, should a player, um, you know, um, look like he's in peril? Now, there was a lot going on in that in that clip. Uh, London mentioned that athletic trainers, uh, strength and conditioning coaches, uh, facilities folks uh, know their roles. If emergencies happen, I mean that that, that seems uh, basic, and, and it, it sounds like the coaches need to know if the players are on medication or have conditions that could cause problems like sickle cell or uh, asthma. Well, what do you think of what he said? Um, for me, Bill, I think that, like you said, it's a basic set of rules as a head coach of a college football team, a high school football team, of a football team that you're supposed to know if your athletes have, if they need medication or they have any pre-existing conditions. They're very basic principles that Maryland failed to put first that Coach Mike Lennon just reiterated for us all. Mm. What what did you think, Isaiah, of what he said? Um, Like you said, it was kind of basic, but I guess head coaches, or him specifically, kind of knows his players and things like that. It's a little, I don't want to say impossible, but it's, it's kind of hard to know all of your players, especially uh, on a football team when there's anywhere from 85 to 90 players at, at, on, on your team at one time. So I think a, a better way, I guess, to say that is that if you have the right coaching staff or the, or the right staff all the way down to the trainers, that if you don't know as a head coach, all of your players and all of those problems, you have people um, underneath you that do. And I think in the Jordan McNair situation, uh, obviously they, they did not. They did not know how long, I mean, how much they could push him and things like that. So I think what uh, Coach London was saying was true, especially if you have a, a, the right staff to, to monitor those things, but it's hard for one person to do it. And that's kind of what I got from that. Just to add to that, Isaiah, Coach London also said that he sees that a lot of times a lot of coaches fail to understand that in this game you have to get to know your athletes. Like you said, you're not going to be able to know everyone's preexisting conditions. Well, you should. You are because they have medical records and you have proper staff in place to ensure that those checks and balances are done. But as a coach, you have to understand that you have to get to know your athletes. You have to go that extra mile in order to understand like if they do need a break, if that – player is exaggerating or if you can what limits you can push that player to and when you need to pull back mm-hmm. now now we got another clip this is willie simmons the head football coach at florida a&m uh who weighed in on the, on the issue uh now this uh interview was courtesy of, of tiffany as well uh let, let's listen to it so coach what protocols do you use to keep your players safe well the first thing uh to be mindful of is that we never allow our guys to work out without a certified trainer being there. Um, you know, even during the summertime when they're conditioning. So our strength conditioning coach is there, uh, a certified athletic trainer is there. And so they, they're both 
CPR certified. Um, they have all the necessary training in the event of an emergency. And as coaches, uh, we have CPR training as well, and uh, and we're we're all taught the signs to look for um, if a student athlete is is getting overexerted. And so it's always a you know it's tough. Uh, it's unfortunate every any time it happens, and obviously it's never totally preventable. Um, but we try to make sure as coaches that we do our best job to put these guys in the best environment. Because obviously being here in Florida, it's extremely hot during the summertime, and uh, the guys can, can really um, get pretty pretty heated inside pretty quickly. And coach, how are your checks and balances to ensure that this philosophy continues through the season and such? Well, you know, the first thing, obviously, before we. Uh, go into off season program. Uh, we have a staff meeting, obviously, with everyone involved, uh, the trainers, the strength and conditioning staff, coaching staff, um, everyone. And, and so, and we also try to educate our guys as well. You know, the, the main thing that we talk to them about in today's climate is to trust their bodies. And, you know, it's no longer the quote unquote junction boy days where you have guys out there and don't give them water or don't let them take breaks. Um, you know, you can't do that. You know, so our guys know that they can get water at any time. They're in a drill, um, and they feel themselves getting, you know, exerted, overexerted, step out, uh, get a drink of water, and get back into the drill, get some Gatorade or whatever the case may be. And if they need to sit out the drill, uh, then they'll do so. Um, but, again, because it, it's, it's just a different, like I said, different climate. And you can't um, necessarily treat the player necessarily the way that we were back when I played, even before I played, where we were out there for hours on at a time without water. So, you know, definitely have to make sure that the guys listen to their bodies. But as far as checks and balances, uh, just constant education, uh, constant meetings uh, with, with the support staff uh, about uh, what we expect from our student-athletes, and, and that communication has, has to be consistent across the board. Coach, are there any educational training sessions that you've done uh, with your staff beyond your meetings to uh, just address certain things to look for in an athlete uh, if they're uh, ailing in health or in such? We do have our uh, CPR training. We have to be certified um, in CPR, and I think every two years we have to get recertified. And so that's one of the, the protocols that we have in place. Um, as an athletic department, obviously, um, we're, we, all, we have a week, a monthly uh, athletic department meeting, and so those issues are addressed amongst all the coaches. Uh, we've had an issue this fall where you know we were low on ice, and, and so there was a huge point of emphasis to make sure that we got our ice machines fixed, that we can keep our athletes cool, that after practices they can get in the cold tubs and things of that nature. And especially, like I said, being here in Tallahassee, Florida, where temperatures can be in the upward hundreds, um, you know, it's definitely imperative that we monitor our, our student-athletes, male and female. And so uh, we, we definitely try to do as much as we can whenever we go to coaching conventions, other seminars that, that we do spend at least some of that time there. Um, in those sessions that specifically deal with not only heat exhaustion, but concussions and all the other type of injuries that, that are you know, tampering and hindering our student athletes. Again, Tiffany, Isaiah, what, what's, what's your take on, on what uh, uh, Simmons said? No, I think that Coach Simmons, again, he just reiterated the fact that you have a certain amount of checks and balances in place from the CPR training. You can go the extra mile and you can make sure that not just your main training staff are CPR, CPR certified, but your your water girls and such to ensure that there's people in place at every avenue to make sure that your players are safe. Mm-hmm. 
Isaiah, did you hear anything different? Anything that stands out other than just sort of rhetoric? Did you hear anything that was, you know, that uh, you thought was unique? Uh, to me, no. And, and, and that's from uh, both coaches. And I think in this situation, I think that you kind of have to be careful how you come off with this, especially, you know, with the Maryland news still being so fresh. Uh, everybody wants to just protect their program and make sure that it looks like their program are doing, is doing the right thing. Um, but if they, is, if they are following that rhetoric, um, I mean, that's a good thing. You have to have those checks and balances. And now, like I, um, I, I talked about before with someone, that I believe that this is going to end up having a effect on college football as a whole, where if you don't have those checks and balances now in your, in your program, there's going to be mandates to make sure that you do. So uh, what, what they're speaking, it, it sounds good, and, and it should be happening, but I think the NCAA now, after the season, will have to implement something to make sure that this never happens again. That, that's, that's, I'm glad you brought that point up. Uh, what do you think, Tiffany? Do you think this is going to have any ripple effects on, on uh, the college football industry in general? Most definitely, and I love that. I love that. Well, of course, it's a sobering experience, and it's an awful way to get the conversation started. It's something that we should the McNair family should never have had to go through. Maryland should never have had to go through, and college football had never should never have had to go through. Uh, but with it comes a conversation from the very bottom to health circumstances. How are these programs taking care of the athlete? Uh, there's a conversation of. Are these athletes being paid? Uh, Napier, when UConn won that national championship, he said, well, I won a championship and I'm hungry. So there's, there's a larger conversation to be had here about taking care of the athletes who give so much to these college programs, and it's really started to blossom from this McNair, Maryland situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we go, let's talk about this culture of bullying. I mean, when we hear bullying, we hear it in the context of students bullying other students and that type of stuff. But in this situation, when we talked about the culture of bullying, we're talking about bullying coming from the coaching staff. Uh, for for you, both of you, how common is that, and, and how do you stop that, Isaiah? I'm not sure if you can fully stop bullying, especially in sports. Um, myself, I, I grew up playing sports, uh, track, baseball, basketball, had several different coaches with several different personalities and on uh, different coaching staffs. And whether you're on a high school, college, or professional level, that aspect is kind of always there. And sometimes coaches use it as a, a motivation tool, which isn't always the best thing, as you can see. But it's it's something that it's part of sports culture now, and, and I'm not sure that you can – cleanly or, or, or fully get that uh, out, of, out of sports, if that makes sense. There's always going to be that one coach that has that personality where he yells or he may use a, a couple of cuss words, but there's obviously a line that shouldn't be crossed. And in this situation with, uh, with Jordan McNair, it was, call, it was crossed, and it, it, it cost someone their life. Mm-hmm. What about you, Tiffany? Same, same question. Uh, uh, do, you, do you think that bullying from coaching staffs uh, something that could stop. I mean, it seems like there's a thin line between being a uh, discipline, a disciplinarian, and being a bully. Yeah, there's a very thin line, and I think that's a utopian conversation. I, you, you're never going to be able to get rid of bullies; they'll be with us forever. It's kind of like uh, racism in a bit. You're never going to be able to get rid of all the remnants of it, but you can make people uncomfortable in it. 
And that's what I think the Maryland situation is just going to bring about. People are going to have to be uncomfortable with situations where if a player is telling you they need water, then you have to allow them that. You know, I, I know I wanted to end the conversation. Do you guys think that this is going to have create a question anew about whether football has a place on campus? Well, I can. Go oh, ahead. you're asking if uh, we should get rid of football? Oh gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that yeah, there's definitely a place for football. The same way that certain rules are changed at the NFL level, uh, rules can be changed at the collegiate level, and that sport can live on. I think that football has a place as America's pastime, and it's just gonna con- it's gonna continue to be that if they are able to make certain precaution stand where people are taken care of and that atmosphere we're just talking about the bullying atmosphere that can decrease but yeah football definitely has a place on college campuses especially when they make a lot of money for a lot of other programs to exist what do you think Isaiah has football has has, has river run its course or do you think that football and, and college go hand in hand well, I, th- I think it's kind of a, a bigger question. I have a, a, a different perspective than Tiffany on this. I believe that um, football as a whole really at some point in the future, whether that be 20 years from now, 30 years from now, we'll, we're going to have to probably get rid of it if it's not drastically changed how the game is played. In it. And I don't think you can because at the end of the day, football is a very violent sport. Um, so I think really football at some point will be gone. Uh, I truly do, because when you just look at the health issues that come from it, and it doesn't help having a situation um, with the Jordan McNair and other people who have died from heat stroke or or, um, dehydration and and not getting enough water and coaches taking advantage of players, that's only making the situation worse and possibly uh, speeding up the process of getting rid of football. So I, I don't think that football necessarily will be a place for college campuses or or anywhere uh, in the United States uh, um, come in the next coming years. Wow, wow. Well, we're going to leave the conversation there. Wow. Well, we're going wow, to leave the conversation crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to have to leave the conversation there. <laughs> uh, but listen, that, that is it. That's all the time we've got for uh, today, but we're going to definitely revisit that. That's pretty revolutionary. Um, if there's anything that you'd like us to cover or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet us at the undefeated hashtag RodenFellows. And you could also contact us directly. I'm on Twitter at WC Roden. That's W-C-R-H-O-D-E-N. You can find me on the gram, T-T-A-L-E-G-E-N. That's T-T-A-L-E-G-E-N-D. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore, underscore, man of the hour. That's underscore, underscore, M-A-N-O-F-T-H-E-H-O-U-R. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Road Fellows podcast. And remember, you heard it here first, that football will be gone in the next 10 years. Uh, this, show... <laughs> this show is produced by the wonderful Erin Matthewson. Congratulations, Erin. She uh, ran the New York uh, City Marathon. First time, shout out Aaron, Ooh. and special thanks to, to Tarika Foster Brasby and uh, Kyrie Williams. Uh, get all the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as the plug, the right time with Bamani Jones and Morning Roast by subscribing to the Undefeated 
on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Uh, join us next week for another scintillating version of the HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.